We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Now here in Judges chapter 15, we've already seen Samson's birth, Samson's brawn, Samson's bride, and Samson's bet. Uh, This evening we're going to see Samson's Bride Part 2, Samson's Burns, and then Samson's Battles. Because look what you read right here, it says in verse 1, After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, Let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please, take her instead. You know, we kind of slowed down when we got to this guy, Samson. And uh, one of the reasons, I think, is because there is so many lessons in his life. Um, in my, you know, my experience, I think, even as a pastor teaching for so many years, I don't know if I've ever seen a section so rich with spiritual truth, so many things that I think are applicable to our life. I know that uh, when you think of the big picture of Samson, you know, what one of the things that we think of right off the bat is that he was the man that fell into sexual sin. You know, he was the man that had so much potential, and he had a calling, he had a gifting, he had anointing on his life. And uh, we see that in chapter 13, verse 5, it says that Samson therefore only began to deliver Israel. And so for that reason, for me, a couple of things stand out real quick. Number one, my marriage. And number two, the ministry. A couple of places where I think a lot of people fall short. Their marriage and their ministry. You know, and you know how many guys will fall into sexual sin? You know, uh, the odds are that four out of ten guys will fall into sexual sin. You know, and that's why for us it's important really to glean everything we can from the life of Samson. Because, you know, I know the way the enemy works. Satan is going fishing for you. And on that hook, he's going to put some bait. That unless you're strong in your relationship with the Lord, you will fall. You know, I'm just praying. Lately, God has just really been stirring up my heart, you know, to make sure that my relationship with him is stronger. You know, I'm just praying and asking God to do a work in the church, do a work in your life, in our life, in the ministry, in our hearts, in our young people, in our young adults, in the marriages, in the singles, in every single life. We must strengthen our relationship with God now. We can't wait till tomorrow. We need to get into the Word. We need to be praying. We need to be in the Bible and asking God not only to read it, but to heed it. Not just going through the motions, you guys. We can't just go to church and go home and keep acting like the world, like the old man. God wants to do a new work, and I'm really praying that he would, and I'm enjoying, I'm really thoroughly enjoying the study in the life of Samson. So many things in his life that we see. Now here we read that they went to the, uh, it was a place called Timnon. It says in verse 1, in the time of the wheat harvest. And so this is late May, early June. And what happens is Samson goes down to visit his bride. It's his wife legally, and he wants to be with her sexually. But there's a problem. If you remember, if you guys were here last week, 
The events of chapter 14 told us that there was a massive drama at his wedding. Remember, Samson gambled, he lost the bet, because the other side got it out of his wife, and so Samson, in the end, was very upset. Imagine that, going to a wedding, the, you know, the, the groom gets really mad at the bride, and, uh, and he splits. Well, that's what ended up happening, right? That's the last thing we read. As a matter of fact, look at chapter 14. It says in verse 19, um, Then the Spirit of the Lord came... I'm sorry, where am I at? Judges chapter... Uh, man, where are we? We're in chapter 15 right now, right? Okay. And what comes before 15? Uh, 14. Okay. All right. It says in verse 19, Yeah, that was the right verse. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. He went down to Ashkelon, killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, gave the changes of clothing to those who explained the riddle, and so his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And so he went home. And so what ends up happening, we see that as a result of that, uh, that, what, that what happens is the father of the bride gives his daughter, not to Samson, but to the best man. And so Samson comes expecting to be with his wife sexually. Um, the father says, sorry, too late, gave her to the best man. And what he did was he offered Samson his younger daughter. But the thing is that this other girl had already caught Samson's eye. We saw that in chapter 14, verse 7, that the woman pleased him. And so what ends up happening? What would you do if your, you know, father-in-law gave away your wife? Yeah. Well, we read right here in verse 3. It says, And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. And then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Samson's story is weird, you know. Samson goes up and down. C.H. Spurgeon says it's a combination of miracles and mess-ups, you know. And I was thinking about his life, I thought, miracles and mess-ups. kind of explains my life, man. You know, I think we can probably identify with him, but I think we can read this and grow. Because when it comes to the things that God wants you to do in your life, um, you know, whether or not you finish the race, whether or not you really, really bring him glory, whether or not you're able to pass on the baton of faith to your children or the next generation, or whatever it is that you know God wants you to do, it's 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 an operation of cooperation. You know, we can't say, "Well, God's going to do it, and therefore I'm going to sit back and you know put it in cruise control." No, we have a responsibility to cooperate aggressively with God, and unless you do that, you're going to end up like Samson. You're only going to begin. And you're not going to do all the things that God wants you to do. Samson's that kind of story, you know. It's weird the way things that, you know, ended up in his ministry and ended up in his marriage. You know, he goes back. He wants to be with his wife. She'd been given to someone else. And so what does Samson do? We read right here that he went and he says, hey, man, I'm going to get even. And the NIV says, this time I have a right to get even. The NET says, this time I'm justified in doing the Philistines harm. Um, and think about that for a second. You know, we're going to come back to it. Getting even. Okay, that was his motive. I want to get even. You know, there's something wrong about that type of mentality. 
right? But what has happened is, is he goes, he catches 300 foxes. Now, we're not sure if they're foxes. The same Hebrew word can be translated jackals. I don't know what a jackal is, but I looked it up in the encyclopedia. And they're like foxes. And I guess they run around in groups, so they say it would be easier for him to catch 300 of them. But they look just like foxes, so it doesn't really matter. Anyway, Samson, what he does is he ties them together two by two. The reason he does that is so that, so that when he attaches the torch to their tails, they will frantically run. They're not just going to go home. They're going to run weird, right? They're going to run frantically. And in the process, what Samson does is he burns up all their grain, their sheaves, as well as their standing grain, and he burns up their vineyards and their olive groves. Now, just to let you know, from a biblical perspective, that means everything. The grain, the vineyards, and the olive groves. It was an amazing victory that God had given to Samson. In their culture, that was the way of saying everything. You see, they got his gal, and so he was going to get their grain. And you look at that, and we're going to see this is real interesting. You know, you know, God used Samson. He's in the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, right? And we see that happening. But even though God so graciously used Samson, Samson's life is one of those lessons in what not to do. I need those lessons. You know, I see someone mess up. They lose their family. And I say, Lord, don't let that happen to me. I see someone and they lose their ministry. And I see the way that they went down. I say, God, don't let that happen to me. You see it in real life and you see it here in the Bible. He should never have fallen in love and married a non-believer, right? We covered that last week. But then when he did marry her, it didn't give him the right to abandon her the way he did, right? You see, Samson didn't know how to meet a wife. He didn't know how to treat a wife, right? He didn't know how to feed a wife. He didn't know how to lead a wife, right? He left her physically. He left her emotionally. He left her. He abandoned her spiritually. He left her. And so it's no wonder that he lost her. And just as a quick side note, you know, I think it's a lesson for us in the meeting and treating marriage relationship. Because how many guys have, if you think about it, lost their wives because they abandoned them? Because they didn't spend time with them? Because they didn't talk to them? Because they didn't meet their needs? Because they were selfish? You know, and it's not just the husbands, right? The wives have that same responsibility as well. You know, we as a a husband, you as a wife, we have a responsibility to this one that we said, I do to, to make sure that after your relationship with God, that they are next in your heart. That you know how to treat them. That you know, you know, how to love them. You know, that you don't leave them. Oh, but we're still together. We've been married for 25 years. It doesn't mean that you're together. You're roommates. You're not soulmates. You know, and there's a lesson here, I think, for all of us. And I know I'm reading a little bit deeper into it, but I know that we need to hear this. Because I know there's a lot of marriages that are not what they should be. They're not, more importantly, what God wants them to be. 
And so we, I need to take responsibility as a husband. And I can't blame it on my wife. And you wives need to take responsibility. All of us need to do our part. And we need to stay together, right? What does the Bible say? You know, and what ended up happening, they were supposed to leave and do what? Leave, right? And then they would be one. They're one positionally, but they need to be one practically. And so we see that's one of the lessons that we learn, and so we need to read and heed. But some also might read this whole thing right here, and they see that Samson won great victories, you know? And, you know, they think, wow, God, Samson did this for God. But when you just read just a little bit between the lines, you find that Samson didn't win great victories for God. Samson won great victories for Samson. Huh. He wasn't in this for God. This was a personal thing that Samson was involved in. You know, in his heart, it wasn't for God's glory. It was for personal vengeance. And we're going to see that even to the very end, that's the way he died. And let me just share something with you real quick, man. You've got to check your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because I think a lot of times if we would stop and examine what we're doing, we'd find that in many ways we are doing this for ourselves. And by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God, I know He can bring us to that place where we need to be to do everything for Him. To try to take ourselves out of the equation, you know? Samson right here was definitely wanting to get vengeance, right? We're going to see that even more later. Be so careful of that. I encourage you, flee, run away from personal vengeance. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Who does vengeance belong to? Belongs to the Lord, not to you, right? And this can be one-on-one. It could be a family against family. It can be gang against gang, right? Tragically, in the chronicles of history, it's even been religion against religion. We see that in the Crusades. And so we need to be so careful. We need to keep in mind what's been said. Violence breeds violence, right? And so what ends up happening, we see here that Samson had a bad marriage. He had bad motives. And it led to big battles back and forth. Look at verse 6. Then the Philistines said, who has done this, right? All their grain, all their vineyards, all their olive groves are burnt down. Who's done this? And they answered Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Wow, think about that. They burned her. They burned her father with fire. Now, I don't know if we necessarily need to to blame anyone, but if I had to blame somebody for this this wife and this father getting burnt, I would blame Samson. You see, that's what happens. To whom much is given, much more is required. Samson played. He was not serious in his walk with the Lord. He wasn't. You know, in looking at this right here, we see that Philistines had threatened earlier to burn this family. In Judges chapter 14, verse 15, now it ends up happening. You know, uh, they got his gal, so he gets their grain. He burns their grain, so they burn his gal. I mean, it just goes back and forth, right? Look at verse 8. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, 
I will surely take revenge, there it is again, revenge on you, and after that I will cease. And so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Eden. Basically, Samson says, I won't stop, I won't rest until I get my revenge on you. And that's why Samson only began to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. He only began. Samson didn't finish the work God called him to do. And so I want to repeat this just over and over again. What about you? What are the things that God's called you to do? You know, I know for a lot of us here, some things are real clear. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. Do it. Finish it. Do it well. I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I'm a leader. I'm an overseer. I'm a grandparent. I'm whatever it is. Whatever gifts you've been given, we have that responsibility to discover them, develop them, and deploy them, right? All of us here have things that God wants us to do. We want to make sure that we don't just begin. One guy said this, Great is the art of beginning, but greater is the art of ending. Now something that's very interesting about this, you guys, I don't know if you ever caught this, it's even fascinating to me to discover, is that the Philistines, remember the Philistines, they were never really subdued until the reign of who? You guys know? David, right? When David came onto the scene, King David, he was the man that God used to subdue the Philistines. Now one thing that's really interesting about this, you see, when you study the life of David, you find there is a real contrast between him and Samson. Whose battles did Samson fight? Samson fought his own battles, right? But when you read the life of David, it's real interesting. What we find is in 1 Samuel 25, verse 28, Abigail is speaking, and she said, the Lord, speaking to David, the Lord will certainly make for my Lord David an enduring house because my Lord David fights the battles of the Lord. You see, and that's where we need to be. We need to make sure that we are not like Samson, fighting our own battles, fighting for selfish reasons, fighting because somebody hurt you or because your rights are being violated. No, we need to make sure that we're fighting the Lord's battles, right? Because then God can use us like he did David. And even though Samson right here sins in the motive, he wins the battle. Notice what we read next in verse 9. It says, Now the Philistines, they went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And so they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to him, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. The philosophy of the world is what? I don't get mad, I get even. Right? We see that happening right here. In verse 10, it says, We have come to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. In verse 11, Samson said, As they did to me, so I have done to them. 
That's really interesting. You know, there's a lesson there. At the same time, you know, we got to understand, this is Israel, this is the Philistines. This is war. But I think the Holy Spirit is saying more. Because when I read that, I see so clearly that the reasoning is wrong. Why are you in that battle? Why are you fighting? Why are you struggling? Look at the motives. And I think a lot of times God will show you things that you need to see. See, Samson had more accountability, especially as a judge of Israel. Understand this. A war must be more. It must be for the glory of God. A fight must be right. And sometimes the fight is right. And sometimes it's even wrong not to fight. What we see right here is real interesting. Case in point. Here you have Israel, right? God's people with a man that is anointed and appointed by God, a man gifted and lifted up by the Lord, and yet for the first time in the period of Judges, we find the army gathered together. It says right here, 3,000 soldiers gathered together for the first time in their situation. 3,000 soldiers are gathered together to do what? To come and arrest the man who is supposed to give them rest. Now, something about that doesn't seem right, you see? I mean, Samson was a mysterious figure, man. And it was a mysterious time. You know, and I think in many ways, we can relate to that, you guys, as a church. You know, what had happened was the people of God were content with lesser things, right? Here we have God's people, and they're blind to what God wants to do. It's right in front of their eyes. What does God want to do in your life? How many of you here, if you were honest, how many of you here can say that you have left your first love? When you really examine your life, how many of you here, you know, and it would be cool, man, maybe I'm wrong, you know, maybe there's no one here, maybe you're all on fire for the Lord, maybe you're right where you need to be, but I would venture to say that there is a large, of, large percentage of us here, and especially in the church, that it's really not about that intimate relationship with God anymore. You know, and what we're doing is we're learning how to play church. We know how to do it. We know how to go through the motions, you know. We know how to do certain things, and we're lacking that fire. We're lacking that passion. And I really, I sense, I hear God is saying, you know what, don't be content to live like that. Don't buy, don't be like these Jewish soldiers right here. You know, where there was their deliverer right there. You know, and in this case, Samson, right? Big, buff, or maybe he wasn't buff. I know he was strong, right? And he was able to deliver them. He was able, think about this. You know, here come the Philistine soldiers. There's Samson, the one able to deliver them. They gather their forces together to get rid of Samson. You want to know something? Jesus is here. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our, our leader. Jesus is our anointed one. Jesus is our appointed one. Jesus is gifted. Jesus is lifted up right here to deliver you from maybe the lackadaisical love, the mundane, mundane ministry. To really make a fire happen in your life. But a lot of times we'll do everything to get rid of him. 
you know, oh, I don't want to read my Bible right now. You know what? I'm going to watch, you know, the Twilight Zone or something. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with the Twilight Zone. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not trying to be legalistic or anything. But man, I'm telling you this right now that we waste so much time when we could be praying, we could be reading, we could be seeking the Lord. We could be investing in things that are spiritual. And here is Jesus, and he's trying to, to just wake us up and say, man, I'm here to change your life. I'm here to give you strength. I'm here to change your marriage. I'm here to change you. I'm telling you, there's nothing that we cannot do with Jesus Christ leading our life. Really. But what ended up happening? They said, no, we're going to gather together, muster our strength to go and get rid of Samson. It's a real, real strange thing to me. It's sad to see so frequently people living as spiritual paupers when actually they're spiritually rich. You know, you don't have to have the Philistines ruling over you. You don't have to. No emotion, no commotion should control you. No thug, no drug should have power over you. You don't need a drink. You don't need a shrink. You don't need to go to a psychiatrist. You don't need that. You've got Christ. And I'm telling you this right now. He's there. He's here. And he sees where you're at. Some of you here, you're doing good. Some of you here, you're not. You can come and you can leave and you can go home the same. Or you can say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to let all the walls fall down. Lord, I need you. Lord, I've been drifting away. Lord, I'm caught up in this world. Jesus, help me. You see, that's what we need, all of us here. Because I know there's more. Our deliverer, he's ready to deliver us right here, right now. We just gotta get, we gotta let him lead. We gotta make sure that we're not like Israel, because they arrested the anointed one, and they gave him over to the enemy. Look at verse 13, it says, So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And so there's Samson. He's, you know, tied up, right? And they bring him to the enemy. They bring him to the Philistines. And so when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. They were all excited. You know, psychological warfare. Yeah, you know, they're screaming, right? But look what happens, man. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hands, right? And then he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, and took it. And here it is. One man killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with a jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with a jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath-Lehi. Literally means jawbone hut. You know, and these things, you know, that Samson did, you know, when you look at his life, and here's another one of those victories, man. How can you kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey? Does anybody know how? With God. Alright, that's the answer. It's the easy answer, right? Two things come to mind here. Number one, God's grace, right? God's grace. 
You know, the Lord gave Samson this amazing victory. Did he deserve it? Absolutely not. It reminds me of Paul the Apostle. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. He told Timothy later, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, I know I'm encouraging you. I know basically the Lord is encouraging us to come back to him. The Lord is just begging us, pleading with us, wake up, come back to the Lord, right? There's no sin he won't forgive. There's no, you know, problem or pit that's too difficult for God. His grace is strong. I know that's one thing, man. Samson broke his Nazarite vow over and over again. Here he is touching a dead corpse. He's not even supposed to do that, but it's definitely God's grace in his life. Second thing we see here is it's God's Spirit, right? We've seen that repeatedly in the book of Judges. Let's go over to Judges chapter 3. And look what it says in verse 10. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. It's the Spirit of the Lord fell upon this individual, Othniel, right? If you go over to chapter 6, look what it says in verse 34. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizrites gathered behind him. You go over to chapter 11, Judges 11. Notice what it says in verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead, and he advanced towards the people of Ammon. If you look over next at chapter 13, verse 25, we see this repeatedly in the life of Samson. It says in verse 25, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him, and Mahanet, Dan, between Zorah and Eshdil. If you go over to chapter 14, notice in verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart, as one would have torn apart a young goat, that he had, though he had nothing in his hand. If you look down in verse 19 of the same chapter, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. We read it again in chapter 15, in verse 14 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You see, with the jawbone of a donkey, God said, I will give you the victory. And what we see in Samson is the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, um, I always tell people, it's like being plugged in, you know. Have you ever tried your, you know, turn in your computer and it's not plugged in? <laughs> you guys ever done that? Or whatever it is, you know, something is not plugged in. I remember when I went to Missouri, and that was one of the lessons the Lord he showed me. You know, you need to be plugged in. You need to make sure that you are praying. You need to make sure that you're doing your best to experience God's grace in your life. You're not depending on yourself. That you're doing your best to obey. That you don't grieve the Spirit. That you don't quench the Spirit. That you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. What we see right here is Samson was able to do this amazing thing. How? By the Spirit of the Lord. Yesterday I was reading in my devotional reading that scripture, Zechariah chapter 4. You guys know it in verse 6, right? It's on our bulletins. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Now one last thing before we leave this right here. Do you think it means anything that he used the jawbone of a donkey? Is that a curiosity? 
Have you guys ever heard that, you know, sometimes pastors will say, preachers will say, God can speak through a donkey? You guys ever heard that? All right, because it's true, huh? You know, people like us, we're just normal knuckleheads, man. But God can speak through a donkey. And I was thinking, Lord, you can take a jawbone of a donkey. You can take someone with, you know, all of us here, no offense, man. We all got jawbones of donkeys, okay? But God can take your words, your scriptures, the, the things that God lays on your heart to share with others, to share to the world. And God can bring the victory with the jawbone of a donkey. You see? And so if you consider yourself a donkey, which I think we all do, if you have a jawbone, which I think we all do, this is what I encourage you to do. Start talking. Start talking, man. Start sharing the word. Start sharing the love. Be bold. Be like Tim Tebow, okay? All right? It's going to stir things up. Why? Because people are going to start hearing the name of who? Jesus. Speak Jesus. If you don't know what to say, just go into the room and say, Jesus. <laughs> just start saying his name because there's power in Jesus and there's power in his cross. But man, a lot of you here are not saying anything. You need to start talking because God can use the jawbone of a donkey. Remember that, okay? And so what do we see here? In closing, we see right here in Samson, Judges chapter 15. Notice what it says next in verse 18. And then he became very thirsty. And so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given me this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi. And water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore he called his name En Hakori, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. It's weird. I mean, I've read this story so many times. I don't know if you guys are lost. How many of you are lost? All right, some of you are lost. Okay, we'll talk later. Okay, no, I'm just joking. You know, uh, if I could just summarize it the way that it went is um, Samson comes to Timnah. He wants to get his bride. He wants to be with his bride. What had happened was she had been given away to someone else. So Samson gets mad. Understandable, right? Understandable. He goes and he lights all their grain, all their vineyards, all their olive groves on fire. And so, because he's mad, he wants to get vengeance. And so what do they do? The Philistines come and they burn this man and his his daughter, supposed to be Samson's wife. They burn her. And so what ends up happening? Samson goes and he beats them up, slaughters a whole bunch of them. So then the Philistines retaliate. They come and they arrest Samson, right? The Israelites hand them over. He arrests them. Samson then, you know, defeats a thousand Philistines. And so what ends up happening in the end? After Samson defeats a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, he then finds himself on the verge of dying. Weird, huh? Would this make a good soap opera? It's weird. It's like, wait a minute. You just won war. Now you don't have water? Why would God give him victory in war and not give him water? Why? And you know, when you read that right there, I would suggest a couple of things in closing. Number one, closing. Number one, God says this. Number one, Samson, I know you think you're big. I know you think you're bad. I know you think that God's used your life. Listen, 
You need to know this. Always know this. Without me, you're dead. Okay? Without me, you're history. Right? So let's all take a deep breath. And remember, God gave that to you. If He wanted to, He'd stop your you know, heart. Boom, it's gone. See, God said to Samson, I know you won the war, but I'll take away your water. Without me, your history, right? And the second thing he wanted Samson to know is this. And this to me, I, I thought was so cool. God wanted Samson to know that without me, not only are you history, without me, Samson, you're thirsty. You're thirsty now. You know, and you can be involved in the ministry and you can see a thousand people get saved. And you can preach to a hundred thousand people. And you can see miracles. And you can, man, raise the dead. I don't care what it is that you do. I don't care how powerful the Spirit of God falls on you. It doesn't matter what you do. Without that personal, intimate relationship with God, you will die of thirst. And that's why it all comes back to that. And I just started reading a book by K.P. Yohannan. It's called God's Word, God's Way. That's the very first thing he said. He said, man, it's got to be done in a very personal and intimate relationship with God. You see, I think a lot of us here, we find ourselves and we're Christians. Yeah, you know, we're in the hall of faith. Yeah, we're going to go to heaven. Yeah, when we die. You know, and God's even using your life. God's doing things and, you know, your kids are getting blessed, whatever the case may be, man. But the bottom line is, if you're honest, you would say, you know what? There's still this something inside of me. There's this thirst that, that I, Lord, I need more of you. I need more of you in my life. Nothing else will satisfy that. I don't care how much Kool-Aid you drink. Oh, I like strawberry lemonade. No. It will never quench that thirst. A lot of you here, you're trying to fill your life with a whole bunch of things. A whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of activities. A whole bunch of events. You know, and there's so many things that you're doing. But you've hewn for yourself broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, the Bible says, Psalm 42, verse 2, My soul thirsts for God the living God. Psalm 63, 1 says, You are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. You see, it's a water that only Jesus can give. Remember when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman? Remember? He said, Man, you keep drinking that water, you're going to continue to be thirsty. But I want to give you water and that you'll, you'll never thirst again. That's why Jesus cried out in John 7, on the last day, verse 37, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I mean, there's so much here. We ran out of time. But it's amazing to me, man. You see the Lord giving him water, you know, out of this rock in the ground. Going back to Exodus chapter 17, when Jesus was crucified for us, and the rock was smitten so that you and I can receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that God could quench our thirst. One last thing. We've got to touch on this. Look what it says again in verse 19. So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name in Hakori, which is in Lehi 
to this day. And it literally mean, means springs of the collar. Look again in verse 18. Then he became very thirsty, so he did what? He cried out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. But you're too cool for that. You're, you're too cool for that. Are you too cool to go in your quiet place and get on your knees and say, God, I need you. God, I thirst for you. God, please. I've been going through this religion thing. I'm involved in the ministry and all these things are happening in my life. And I see it and everything's spinning around me. But God, I'm missing you. And all I'm saying is this, that if you would call out to the Lord, I can't do it for you, but that's what you're missing. That's what we need in our life. Because when that begins to happen, man, life really begins to change. You know, there in verse 20, it says that Samson, he judged the Philistines, he judged Israel, I'm sorry, for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. The days of the Philistines. Yeah, the days of the Philistines. It should have been the days of Israel, but it was the days of the Philistines. Man, you don't want an epitaph like that. You know, today is Thursday, right? And you need to be thirsty. We need to be thirsty for the Lord today. So we're going to close with a song my prayer is that if there is anyone here today who's thirsty, if there's anyone here today who finds himself just caught up in a religious rut, going through the motions, if there's anyone here today, and I think we all can probably say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I want you to just come in. Lord, take over, lead my life. Lord, I'm willing to follow you right now. If there's anyone here today, and it doesn't matter, you can be, I can, you know, the pastor of the church, an overseer. It doesn't matter. We gotta humble ourselves, man. We gotta say, Lord, I need you. If you're here today, then that's what we want to close the evening in. Just basically, you and the Lord. You telling the Lord, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I want you. I want more of you in my life. Father, do a new work. Don't let me leave, Lord, the same. And Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word so much, Lord, in the life of Samson, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts. And Lord, as Samson was there on the verge of dying, Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight on the verge of dying. Or someone here tonight who's just dry, someone who's just going through so much. Lord, I pray they would know that you are here. Jesus, you are here to quench their thirst. Lord, that we would turn from our sins and trust in you as one and Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask that you touch our hearts. In Jesus' name.